Amen. How many of you know have a purpose in Jesus? Make some noise. You got a purpose. You got a purpose. I see some two-timers here. You guys doing double for your trouble today. I saw them in first service. Look at your neighbor. Tell them that you're glad they're here. Come on, tell somebody I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for coming. While we are here in the north in freezing cold weather, some of our dear friends and brothers and sisters are suffering down south in the New Orleans area with 70-degree weather, uh, teasing. But they are there preaching the gospel at Mardi Gras. I went to Bible college in New Orleans, and then the Bible college moved to California. And then from California, they had an online program begin and work with churches. And so we have the Bible college here with us as well, about 15 students and uh, five of them went down to do their Mardi Gras practicum, which is uh, a requirement to go down there two times. I've done it 12 times. I don't know if you can believe that, but I've, yes, I've been to Mardi Gras 12 times. Thank you. And uh, they go there from Thursday all the way through to Tuesday. Those of you who don't know much about Mardi Gras, it's just a big party. Mardi Gras actually means Fat Tuesday uh, in French, and so that's Tuesday's the biggest day coming up. Tomorrow will be Lundi Gras, Monday before the Tuesday. And what we want to do is uh, pray for them. But before we do, I was watching my friend Juan Gonzalez, my best friend in Bible college, working with the students there on the streets. And uh, he caught one of our preachers, Joe B., preaching. And I thought it would be really cool for you guys to see it. So uh, it will start off a little bit here with them showing you uh, the downtown area. Uh, basically, what New Orleans looks like is kind of like a colonial area, uh, the downtown French Quarter, very influenced by the French settlers, very ornate. Uh, you see a lot of the uh, artistic uh, artwork on the buildings, multiple colors, very nice. You know, you would want to be down there, right? But the trouble is with it is uh, Mardi Gras, it just gets really wicked. And, it, and, and you know, it's not a place for the family. Uh, during the day, you can oftentimes go down there and get something nice to eat, but once those lights go out, and that's where they have the teams go right to about dusk, a little bit at night, but once those lights go out, they'll have the strippers stand in their G-strings and tight stuff, literally right in front of those bars. Guys will start shouting uh, to girls to show them their top for beads, all of the things you've probably heard about before. Uh, but our preachers are out there. They're telling people about Jesus. It can get violent too, by the way. You get a lot of tourists together, a million people come and visit the city during this time. Uh, violence can happen. And I've seen that happen. People can overdrink, pass out, and get stepped on because there's a lot of crowds. Uh, this is a little bit more of the calmer time. Like I said, it's right before things really start getting popping. Uh, but I thought this was amazing. So let's watch this together and then tell me if you notice something special about Joe B and him preaching out there. Just to see if you catch it. You can turn it up, please. Thank you. Just tell you what it's, what's, what's going on. Man, this thing is popping big. Check this out. It's going down, Timothy. Come on down, bro. You're part of what God's doing. Let's do this, bro. I'm going to show you a couple of engagements from our students. Watch this. Watch how these guys are engaging. Watch, watch this. At least we don't break. At least we don't kill. They were saying that. He didn't call the sinner, right? He was doing all these things. The child of the He called the lost sheep that need a shepherd, right? And you know what? That kind of message, they repented and they stopped sinning. The prostitute stopped sinning. The drunkard stopped sinning. All those people stopped sinning. The religious person, what they do? They kept saying, at least we're not as bad as them. 
So, if you're going to live that self-righteous life, you Jesus, you know what he's going to call you? A slave to the devil. And you know what that means? A slave has a master, right? And it's not like Jesus is going to be like, hey, listen, I hate you specifically, and I'm going to send you to hell. No, he's going to send What's up with you as you're doing it, man? These guys are fired up. Watch this. Here's another team. Watch. how our students are doing it. These guys are engaged left and right. These guys are engaged left and right. Check this out. Let's give it up for the teams there preaching the gospel. Amen. <laughs> but is it is it me or did you kind of notice a little bit of a difference? Like he's showing the rest of these teams, and, and you know what, maybe they just got caught at a, at a bad time. But they show our guy, our guy is full on preaching. Are you guys proud of what he's doing out there? Let's give it up one more time, amen. We are certainly proud for our guys. Let us pray right now for the Mardi Gras team. They're going to go through the weekend, like I said, Monday and Tuesday, and it gets even worse. Father, we pray that while our teams are out there, God, that you will bless them, that you will give them the grace and peace to preach your gospel. Let signs and wonders follow, Lord, the preaching. Lord, keep them safe. Bring them back safely, Lord. But we pray while they're there that souls will be saved, lives will be changed. Lord, I know that the strippers can get saved. I've met them, Lord. I know that, Lord, the gangbangers can get saved. I know that tourists, God, who fly in on their private jets can get saved. Athletes, movie stars, actors are there. Even Mark Zuckerberg has been there, oh Lord. We pray that whoever our preachers run into, whether they're in this team or another team, there's about 3,000 of your servants out there, Lord, collectively. I pray that people will be saved, that their lives will be changed, and that you will receive the glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody's Amen. Somebody say Nolens for Jesus. Amen. That's how you say it down there with a little Cajun accent. Nolens for Jesus, baby. Let's get into the word today. We're in a series in the book of Ephesians on lesson number four from just verse number one. We haven't even got past the first verse. We are going to be doing this hopefully for all of 2017. Today's message is the faithful. Somebody say the faithful. Thank you. And the series for the whole year on the book of Ephesians is in him. Somebody say in him. Thank you. See, that crowd participation helps you stay up and helps me know that you're listening. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We're on our fourth message. Next week, we'll be talking about in Christ Jesus. And I really think that it's good that I take this time to do this at the beginning of a series that's going to be so long, to take five messages just out of the first verse so that you can get a big picture of what this church is about, what this city was about, who these people were, who Paul was, some of the big concepts there, especially like we learned last week about being saints. How many were encouraged by that? Do I have any saints in this place? Any saints? Do I got any ain'ts? No ain'ts. Y'all saints, right? Okay. Now the faithful in Christ Jesus is today's message. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the... Oh, y'all quiet in this church? The what? The faithful. Somebody say the faithful. One more time. The who? The faithful. Thank you in Christ Jesus. So let's just take a moment to think about this. We're talking about the faithful. 
The question is, are you faithful? That's what today's message is going to be like. Are you these kind of people? Now, here's where I want to start off today's message, because the moment uh, we get into this message, we start to ask ourselves these questions, you know, like, who are these people? What made them different? And if we're not careful, we'll just run right by them, and we won't think that we have much to relate to when it comes to their lives. Like, oh, they were faithful. Okay, it must have been easy for them, because Paul was their apostle. And if you do that, you won't get the lesson of this, uh, this opening passage right here. You'll miss it because you don't know their story. Unless you know somebody's story, you can't understand God's glory in their life. See, people come and look at my life, and they're like, Pastor, you're blessed. Look at you. You got some nice cars. You got a beautiful wife. Your children are healthy. You've got a nice home. You get to do these wonderful hobbies. Man, Pastor, I wish I had your kind of life. And all that they do is look at God's glory and don't understand the story. If you look at my history, you'll see that it's really his story of his glory in my life. You understand that? His story, it's his story in my life about his glory. So if you look at me now and you say, well, I want what he's got. I want what Joe's got. You got to be fruitful. Uh, You got to be faithful like I was faithful if you want to have the fruit in your life. Because when we're faithful, God makes us fruitful. Now, I'm not saying I haven't had troubles or things haven't been uh, difficult at times. I've gone through troubles. Yes, I have. But if you want to be fruitful, you've got to be faithful. And when we look at these people's lives, we see that they were not faithful in easy circumstances. So if you're thinking right now, oh, you know what? It may have been easy for them, but it's hard for me. You don't understand their story. We need to go back and look at these people's lives and see who they were. So let's go to Acts chapter 19 and see the story of the Ephesus people, those ones who got saved, who got this book written to them from the Apostle Paul. Now, as we get into this book, I want you to know what it means. Acts literally means the Acts of the Apostles. And Apostles wrote what? What did they write? What do we call the letters that they write? Epistles. Thank you. So Apostles write epistles. And if you want to learn about them, you read the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is literally the Acts of the apostles, what they're doing, what it was about in their life. And so what I want you to do is look at Acts chapter 19, verse 1, and I want you to follow along with this story about how they became the Christians that they were and learn about what it took for them to be faithful. Because I think most of us will be surprised when you find out what they had to go through to be faithful. It wasn't easy for them, and it was difficult, but God was a good God in their life, better than the one they had been serving before. Now, we know where there's only one real God, but what you're going to find out is that they were serving a false God. Let's start at the beginning here and learn about what Paul was doing there. While Apollos was at Corinth, everybody say Corinth. Okay, thank you. Now, what books of the Bible were written to the people in Corinth? What books? Corinthians, that's right, First and 2 Corinthians. So you, don't you get excited when you see what's going on right here? You look back into the Bible, and it's like it's making sense to why those letters are there, like Ephesians, like Corinthians, okay? So Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at where? Where did he arrive at? Ephesus. Look at your Bible either on your screen or on this screen to follow along. He arrived at where? 
Ephesus. So now it fits all together, doesn't it? Boom, we're right there now. We're at the backstory to these wonderful people. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And we'll get into those Greek words in just a little bit. They answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Now look at this. This is what's neat. John the Baptist came before Jesus, was preaching around the same time as Jesus as he came onto the scene. Remember, he was preaching first, then Jesus came on. They preached for the same time for a little bit, but then John got beheaded. Jesus got crucified, went back to heaven. These guys must never have heard part two and three of the message. They only heard the introduction. They only heard John's preaching and went back home. So Paul runs into them and he's like, have you guys received the boom shakalaka? Are you guys filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, man, all we knew was John the Baptist. We didn't know much more about the Messiah. We just listened and heard him and believed that the Messiah was coming. So he said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. Who's the one coming after John. Jesus, that's the one we believe in. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of who? Jesus. Thank you. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in what? In tongues and prophesied. That shows you the power of the Holy Spirit's for everybody. Don't be afraid of the spiritual gifts. There was about 12 men in all. So here we go. Paul's coming into Ephesus. First people he meets, John's disciples. They get baptized in Jesus' name. Boom, shakalaka. Now they're a part of Paul's little church that he's starting there. Now Paul goes to the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. Those, that's where the Jewish people would meet. The Jewish people that were waiting for the Messiah and didn't think he had come yet. We know that he did come through Jesus, but they didn't believe that quite yet. So Paul was there, look at this, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. You ever been in a religious argument before? Did it ever last three months? Some of you maybe got some family members, right? It's going on and on and on. But imagine that. That's how, that's how uh, uh, Paul, lo- how much he loved the Jewish people. He wouldn't let them go. He wasn't forcing it on them, but he said, man, I'll stay with you to help you understand this. And it says he argued persuasively. But now look at verse 9. But some of them became obstinate. Now, you know there's a difference between having a healthy argument, a healthy discussion, and somebody just being like, talk to the hand. I am done with you, you know. And that's what they got with them. They got mad. They were like, we don't want to listen to this anymore. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That's what we called Christians back then was the way. So they publicly started to mock him. Say, hey, don't listen to him. He's telling lies. We don't believe what he's saying. We know better. So Paul left them, took the disciples with them, those disciples that came from John the Baptist, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, does that sound like a Jewish place? No. Tyrannus is a Greek pagan place. So just imagine this. Paul goes to the synagogue, which was like the church of that time, argues for three months. They don't want anything to do with it. He rents a hall in the heart of their pagan city and says, I'm going to teach the gospel right here then. Come on, somebody say, don't give up. See, there's somebody that's going to be willing to listen to you. Verse 10, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks, those are the representatives of the pagan religion who lived in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. Now, just get some cultural information. Romans ruled the land, and the land Paul was in was mostly Jewish and Greek. Greeks used to rule the land before the Romans took over, and the Jews had been oppressed by all of them, basically, okay? So here is Paul in a Roman land, 
mostly with Greeks and Jews, and they're hearing the word of the Lord. And look at verse 11. It gets exciting. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. So literally, it would be like taking this and putting it upon the sick. Now, let me tell you, if you ever see anybody selling these rags on TV for $5.99 plus shipping and handling with holy water, don't buy it, okay? That's not the truth. But there is a principle of the anointing transferring to tangible objects. Even in the book of Acts, it says that uh, Peter's shadow could heal the sick. So that's real, but let's not fall for the fake. Now watch what happens. The Jewish people in that synagogue rejected him. He goes on for two years, keeps preaching, doing miracles. Now they get jealous. So some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So like, oh, we got power too, guys. Come check us out. We'll cast out a demon. So they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. They were known as the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who was doing this. One day, check this out, the evil spirit answered them, literally talked back, and we have videos of demons talking as well when we were in India. It talked back and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, you know you beat up if you're running out naked and bleeding. So what was the lesson there? The lesson was don't try to do this without having the real authority, the real power. And there's another time a magician tried to take on Paul in front of some leaders, and Paul cast blindness right on them. Oh, excuse me, Peter cast blindness right on him, that fake magician in front of those people. God is not to be mocked nor to be played with. Now look at verse 17. It starts off like it's, it's going great. The disciples are really starting to get built up, especially from the pagan culture. Uh, God is moving. Two years seems to be going by quite well. But look at what happens in verse 17. Somebody say, the faithful. Now you're going to know why Paul said they were the faithful. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with great fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many who believed now came and openly, publicly confessed what they had done. That a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. So now you can see it's like, oh my goodness, God's got power. It's only in the name of Jesus. And all these people start coming out going, hey, I'm one of those. Christians, we've got the power. We used to practice magical arts, but we're going to burn up all of our, our, our scrolls and all of these things that we used to practice witchcraft with. And if you're thinking to yourself, this is just a little deal, it's not. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. Hundreds of thousands of people lived there, and maybe at this point, tens of thousands are being saved, going to the town square, burning their witchcraft. The uh, estimated value of what they were burning came to total around 50,000 drachmas, and that was a way of, of, of looking at their money. And the ES, ESV study Bible says about $6 million. So just get this in perspective. 
Imagine, I say it because it makes sense, you know, to look at it like this. Imagine you live in Orlando and Disney World is now a real pagan temple where they worship, you know, the little Mickey Mouse or the fairies or whatever because that was their temple in that city was the seventh wonder of the ancient world. It was a huge place and it was where people would go and they would actually practice temple prostitution. They would pay a prostitute to do religious things. They actually counted that as part of their religion. So then they would go there to sightsee. So we was like the Las Vegas Strip, New Orleans, and like Walt Disney World all put together, right? And now these people are burning the materials that they would buy there. So imagine all the workers, all these prostitutes coming out and leaving their temple, leaving, buying all this stuff, and burning it in Orlando. That, that would cause quite an uproar if you want to put yourself in their position. And this way, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. But after this happened, Paul had to go to Macedonia, and he takes off for a little bit, but around the time he comes back, look at verse 23, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Somebody say the way. Thank you. Because a silversmith named Demetrius, who had made the silver shrines for Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. That's the stuff they're burning. He's upset now. He called them all together along with all the related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has come and he's convinced them and led large numbers of people astray here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. You see what happens? They get mad now. It's not okay anymore. He says that the gods made by hands are not gods at all. There is, there is danger not only that our trade will lose good, its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is to be worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Let's put this in common language right now. Imagine this many people getting saved in Mecca. Imagine them taking their Qurans to the middle of the street and setting them on fire. How do you think that would go with the imams and the sheikhs and the people in charge? How long do you think it would be they join together with the business people and say, we're going to lose all of our money here. We're building all of these skyscrapers in, in Mecca. We have here, uh, you know, the Black Stone. We have the Kaaba. This world religion is based on this. And in our city, they're all turning to Jesus. We're going to learn that the rob, uh, our God is going to get robbed of its divine majesty. Now, they worshiped a false female god named Artemis, also known as Diana. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Articus, Paul's traveling companion. So imagine this is in our day. All of a sudden, they seize Augustine. They take Andrew, right? And they rush them to the theater. Remember, we learned about the theater could hold 15,000 people. This is a riot. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. They're like, Paul, don't go in there. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him, don't go into that theater. Thousands of people are there. Now watch this. You'll learn something about modern-day protests here too. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Isn't that true about many of the protests you see going on? Most of the people don't even know why they're there. What are you here for? I don't know. I'm here because my neighbor is here. We're just shouting. Well, what are you shouting about, you know? Well, that's what's happening then. A crowd drew a crowd, and they're all there, and they don't know what they're really shouting about. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front. So this is possibly a, a Christian 
that's been converted from the Jewish faith, maybe a, a disciple of John the Baptist here. So they push him to the front, and they shout to him the instructions. or trying to get him to help, but he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So that you could just see racism is here. The Greeks see that he's a Jew, and they're like, you're no better than a Christian. We don't want to hear from you. So the Greek pagans didn't like Jews to begin with, and they didn't like their Greek pagan friends turning to Christians. There's a confusion here. The city clerk quieted the crowd, said, fellow Ephesians, don't, doesn't the whole world know of the city of Ephesus as the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell from heaven, which we know is a lie? And he begins to try to make this defense and all of these different things. And he says, if there's a problem, bring it before the court, lest we all get in trouble with the Roman government. Because the Romans didn't care about Jew or Greek or Christian. If there was a riot in one of their provinces, they're coming in and destroying things. So when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, said goodbye. He's like, I'm done, guys. I got to take off and set out for Macedonia. Somebody say, the faithful. Now, this doesn't mean Paul was a coward. It just means that Paul needed to roll out after that. Here's the whole story that I think makes better sense to understanding that first verse. Look at it again and tell me if you now have a different impression of these folks right here. Look at it again. It comes by quickly, but see if you can get it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. What do you think it felt like to get that letter from Paul and him say that in the first verse? It's like, yes, somebody knows what we're doing here. We haven't been forgotten. We're on the side of truth. Even though our whole entire city has turned on us, we're still here, Paul. I mean, if you had received that letter, you were the faithful. Paul was talking to you. You might have had your mom turn her back on you. You might have lost your job. Your neighbor might have been the guy who made the statue you were burning in the front of your house, at the front yard, and now you're suffering. And did it in there? No, it didn't. Persecution increased for the next 300 years, and it got so bad that even Timothy, who went to work in Ephesus, was an old man, and when he stood up to preach in front of one of their pagan uh, 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 parades, they took the old man, Timothy, beat him, drug him through the parade, and then killed him in front of everybody. They had no mercy even on an old man. They ended up taking the Christians, burning them alive. Uh, Paul is now even in prison. We know he's writing from prison. He ends up getting beheaded by the Roman emperor Nero around 60 AD. Remember, we've learned about this. And so you can just see now as you go through the letter and you're reading all of these wonderful things, Paul is telling them, don't give up. Don't let your present circumstances change your identity. There may be trouble all around you, but God is on the inside of you. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And he calls them holy people. And he says, you're not who you used to be. Don't let them tell you that God is not real. You've been changed. And so I want to ask you today, are you going through something? Have you faced a problem in life that has made your feelings, made your feelings question your faith, feelings questioning your faith? Well, then Paul's got a word for you today. Don't give up. Be faithful. Be faithful and God will make you fruitful. Do you think today that the Ephesian people who are now in heaven think it was worth it to be faithful to Jesus Christ? 
Yes, they see the end result of their faith. It was true. Jesus did raise from the dead. They are in heaven now. They're experiencing their rewards, but they had to go through these tests. And what about the tests you're going through now? Tests of people rejecting you? Tests of people not liking you because you're a Christian? Or just that natural order of life? Tests of physical sickness, mental distress, the things you deal with day to day? All of those things can get you to question your faith in Jesus. And Paul is reminding us today to keep the faith. Look at your neighbor and say, keep the faith. Amen. Let's get some of these definitions out in the Greek. The original New Testament was written in Greek. Now you know why, because the majority of the people they were with were Greek. And the Greek language was the popular language even of the Roman Empire. Latin was spoken more by the aristocrats and the military, but Greek was the language of that day. Pistis is the word for faith, and it simply means assurance or trust. And that root word for faith, pistis, is also used in faithful, is where we get pistos from, and then believe, pistui. And that's all meaning basically the same thing, to put your faith and trust in God. Now think about how important this was to Paul. Now we know that Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament, 13 epistles. He uses it 12 times just in Ephesians, that word faith, and 230 times in his 13 epistles. Do you think faith was important to Paul? Do you think it was something he liked to talk about a lot? And just the word faith, just that word by itself, pistis, not faith. Faith for believing, but just faith, he used 142 times. Why do you think Paul used that word so much? Why didn't he use the word work, good deeds? Why didn't he use those words so much? It's because Paul understood that if your faith was right, your walk would be right. If your faith was right, your mind would be right. If your faith was right, your family would be right. Everything in the kingdom of God comes by faith. That's the principle. We're going to get into that today because the moment I start talking about faith, people get the idea like, well, maybe there's some that God gives more of it to than others. So I don't have a lot, and that's, and that's maybe just the way it's supposed to be. But someone over here has a lot of faith. They must have been really blessed by God. We don't understand the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that God... God chooses who he gives faith to. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we all hear the word of God, all of us have the chance to let faith like a seed grow in our heart. And the Bible talks about the parable of the four kinds of hearts. So the word of God comes like a seed. We're all hearing it now. Some have a hard heart. Man, I don't believe that. That's why faith doesn't grow. Others say, I'll give it a try. Grows a little bit. Problems come. Ah, it's not worth it. It's too much. They give up. It dies like a little plant. The other one says, I'll do it. They go for a while. But then weeds come in like sin. Choke it out. The pleasures of the world, the worries of this life, riches, choke it out. And it's not fruitful. But Jesus Jesus said the one who hears the word, believes it, and grows and brings forth fruit is the one who understands it and applies it. So are you hearing the word of God today, yes or no? Now are you going to be fruitful, yes or no? And that will be dependent upon you being faithful. So if you see somebody being fruitful in the kingdom of God, it's because they've been what? Faithful. Thank you. Now let's look just at the book of Ephesians. 
Let's see the 12 times Paul used it because it's about the book of Ephesians this whole year. We want to get the whole thought on what Paul is talking about when he says faith, you know? And I don't want you to go through these verses and take them lightly. These are the verses that will encourage you, encourage me in our hardships. Well, you've already heard verse one, and I think it's already more meaningful than it was before, right? Now that you know their story, you're like, wow, man, good for them. That's awesome. God, make me like them now. I mean, when I think about what they went through, that reminds me of Christians that are persecuted right now. You know, I'm th- I think about my friend who told the story of him going to a Bible college graduation in the Middle East. He was a missionary in Japan, and they called him, and I, I think it was like Turkey or a place like that, and he went there, and at the end of the graduation, all of these uh, uh, graduated students, they were just hanging on each other's necks and crying, and just it, it was just going on and on, and uh, the, the pastor looked at the Bible college president, and he said, wow, these, these students must just love each other. They, they just are going to miss each other so much. And he said, no. He said, all of these students have committed to crossing the border into the Islamic lands, and that right now they're knowing that they may never see each other again. Could you imagine that? Would you be faithful to go from Turkey to Syria right now as a missionary? What would you say to your friend who said, God told me to do that? What would I say as a pastor preaching to that Bible college graduation? It would be a lot different than most of our graduations, wouldn't it? knowing that literally that now these pastors, these new leaders are going to go across these borders into these lands. What about the two girls from Iran who got saved? Just young Muslim girls, they give their hearts to Jesus, and all of a sudden they they get on fire and they start feeling that God is so good and they can't keep it in, and if hell is real, they don't want their friends to go there. So they start getting Bibles from the missionaries. They smuggle them in, and they start giving them out to the people, especially in the marketplaces, to the point where they think that there is an army of Christians handing out these Bibles because there's thousands of Bibles now going across to the uh, people of Tehran, the capital city there. But it's only just two girls, two young girls. And you know what they do? They capture them. They put them in jail. They start to torture them. They say that they're now going to kill them. They caught one ISIS soldier. You could see it on YouTube or Facebook. He said he raped and murdered 200 women in in his, his journeys over there before he was captured. And these girls are scared for their life. But you know what they said? We'll be faithful to Jesus because he's been faithful to us. We can't turn him down now. We can't can't turn our back on on him now. He's never failed us. The Bible says if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. What would you do if you were that young girl? And do you know that in some of these countries, the first thing that they do is they kill the children in front of the parents. They'll kill the children so that the parents will renounce their faith. They'll imprison the, the husband in a poor village so that the husband can't be there anymore and provide. That's what they do in a lot of these underground churches in China. They take the male pastor, they put him in jail and try to redoctrinate him and change him into a communist. Now you understand when Paul is writing this, he's writing to people that are in the middle of persecution. So my friends, whatever you're facing today, you can be encouraged that God sees you as being faithful. Be faithful. Don't give up. The next thing that we see in verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So now watch this. It's very important to see. When were the people of Ephesus sealed with the Holy Spirit? When they what? When they what? Believed. 
when they believed. So did God force them to believe? Did God say, I choose you, I'm gonna seal you with the Holy Spirit and then you'll believe? No, when they said, I believe what Paul is preaching is true, something miraculous happened on the inside of them. They literally got a seal of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God confirmed that the preaching was true. How many of you believed in Jesus and are now sealed by the Holy Spirit and you have a real abiding presence, a confirmation that you are saved? Anybody? Anybody, I hope you do. I mean, that's our belief system. We're not just teaching religion here. I literally believe when I believe, I believe that when I believed, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit. If I had just believed and nothing would have happened, I would tell you that. I have no reason to lie to you. I would say I believed and then over time God did something in my heart. That's not how it was for me. When I believed, God instantly confirmed that he was real. It was not just a religious belief. It was an, a transformational relationship with Jesus. Keep going. For this reason, ever since I heard about your what? Your faith. Come on, somebody say faith. Thank you. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and all your love for God's people. He goes on and says, I haven't stopped praying for you. So Paul says, I hear about your faith. You know, he's in prison now. Imagine this. He's in prison. And what do you think the devil's telling him now? The devil's probably coming to him going, Psst, Paul, you're a failure. This ain't real. You didn't meet Jesus that day. You just ate too much Taco Bell. You had indigestion. You just looked at the sun. You didn't have a vision. You didn't meet Jesus. Look, if Jesus was with you, you wouldn't be in jail right now. All these people wouldn't be being killed right now. What, it, what encouraged Paul's faith, what encouraged him when he was in jail, when he heard about their faith, you see, when I'm going through something as a pastor and I hear you're keeping the faith, that encourages me. I don't want to join another pity patty party. I'm already in my own. I want to know someone else is on the shouting side of Calvary. I want to know that someone else is still keeping on, keeping on. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. That's the true Christian faith. Ephesians 1.19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same power and the mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. Hello, somebody. How do we get the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? By those who believe. Are you lacking power today? You put your faith in Jesus, you'll have the same power that raised him from the dead. There it is. You need some wind beneath your wing? Put your faith in Jesus today. Here's that famous passage that I think centers this whole book of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Thank you. This is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. Now, is this a gift that you have to receive? No, because otherwise it wouldn't be a gift. But God graciously gives you salvation when you choose to have faith. Now, here's what we got to understand. Faith is not a work. You don't make yourself believe. God gives you the word to believe in. This is not like throwing a quarter into a wishing well going, I wish, I wish, I hope upon a star. No, faith is in God's word and what he said and his character. And all you have to do is trust and believe. I know it sounds too easy to believe, but really, all you have to do is believe. The greatest times of testing in your life that come against your faith it will really come down to one thing. Do you trust God? Everyone will go through the same thing. Everyone will get times, have times in life where it feels like you get punched square in the gut, you lose all your breath, the world is spinning, your mind is confused, and at those moments, it will come down to one thing and one thing only. Do I trust that man? 
Do I believe that the man who walked the shores of Galilee rose from the dead and is hearing my prayers now? Do I believe in him? It is literally like a trust fall leaning back into his arms. I can't make myself do that but I can let myself do that. I can't work up enough self-willpower to do that. It's literally letting go. That's what faith is, is falling back into the arms of Jesus. That's how you're saved. That's how you remain saved. That's how you have a saved marriage. That's how you have a saved career, a saved mind, a healthy life. All of these things will come by faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible, but those who come in faith, please God, even though you're suffering, things are going wrong, and you're saying, God, I don't see it, I don't feel it, but I believe it, God says, I'm pleased, and all things will work together for your good. I want to give you another example about salvation here. I did this on a Facebook, YouTube video, but it's good to repeat here. So I put my kids at the bottom of the steps. I learned this from another pastor. It's a great example of this. I put them at the bottom of the steps. I came up to the top of the steps, about 10 steps separating us, and I said, here's the game we're going to play. You got to get to the top where I'm at right here. But here are the rules. You can't use the stairs and you can't use your, each other or anything in this room. You can't use any of those things, but you got to get up to the top and there's a way to do it. There is a way to do it. Figure it out. Ready, set, go. And so what do my kids start to do at that moment? They run all the way, you know, they get all the way back and they try to run as fast as they can, take their leap, you know, and, you know, around the third or fourth step, that's as far as they get. Then they try to find ways around the rules. You know, they're going to start trying to climb on, the, you know, the railing or something. I said, I already told you guys you can't climb on the railings. And then they start to try to pick each other up. They're going to make like a human ladder, you know, hoist the other one over there. And I said, you can't use anything in the room. I already told you that. I said, but it can be done. And you can watch the YouTube video. It takes a while, you know. I mean, it, it was a lot longer than I thought it would be. But I love my kids. But then eventually one, one got it. One got it. One said, can I ask you for help? And I go, that's it. Yes, you can. And they said, Daddy, would you pick me up and bring me up the stairs? And I did that. You see, that's grace. They had to have faith to ask they had to believe that I wanted to help them. They had to get their mind off their own self-efforts. They were failing and failing miserably when all they saw was their effort. Everything they did failed because it was always on their effort. They were missing the blaring, the, the, the big white guy right there, the big ogre guy. They were missing that, and all they were doing was thinking about all this. And that is what it's like when we don't come to God. And he's beautiful and gorgeous, right? You know, And so we are missing the God of the universe and we're looking at each other. You help me. You throw me into a healthy marriage. You know, Let's do this to make more money and we'll be happy. And we're not realizing we're failing miserably because the stairway to heaven isn't just 10 stairs. Come on. It's an insurmountable task. But what does God say? Call upon me and I will answer you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my load is light, and you shall find rest for your souls. Oh, pastor, I don't believe I can ever find rest for my soul. My life's so messed up. It's because you're doing it wrong. Yes, life can have troubles, but if you're not having rest in the midst of your troubles, it's because we're doing it wrong. Faith works every time, doesn't it? 
When I put my faith in Jesus, my mind calms down. When I put my faith in Jesus, I treat my wife the way she ought to be treated. I honor her because I am now trusting God to do through me, through me, what I did not know I could do. I didn't know I could do these things until I asked for God's help. That's the difference. That's what Paul is teaching us. Here in another place, he says in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our what? Through our faith in him. So who are those who can boldly access the Father with confidence? Those who have faith in him, in Jesus. And the, the series is in him. Can I step outside of Christ and try to come to the Father on my own good, good deeds? No, I can't. Can I come through a, a priest, a saint, another religion? No, I have to be in him, in Jesus, saved, born again. And then I can have boldness. And I can say, Father, I know you hear me, and you love it when I pray to you in Jesus' name. I have access to you, and I give you my needs, and I present them before you. I trust you. Now, faith is a two-way street. Uh, the relationship of faith is a two-way street. I ask and I believe I will receive in his good pleasure and his good will. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? How does Christ dwell in our hearts? Through faith. Thank you that you being rooted and grounded in love. Look at that. How do I grow in the love? I grow in the love through the faith I have in Jesus. First, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, one Lord, one faith. One baptism, that is where the word faith is, is not being used as an action, but rather as a noun, the faith of the Christian church. That's beautiful to think of it that way, and that's the same thought in chapter 4, verse 13, till we all attain unity of the faith, our Christian belief system, that we want to have the full knowledge of the Son of God to mature to manhood, to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here we have in 6.16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of what? Okay, so what are you supposed to use the times that you're attacked with fear, anxiety? What are you supposed to put up? The shield of what? Faith, which you can extinguish some of the flaming darts of the evil one. Is that what it says? The shield of faith doesn't work all the time. Come on. I mean, it's, it's, it's good, but it's not that good. Is that what it says? Which you can extinguish how many? All the flaming darts of the evil one. And all in the Greek language means what? Oh, that's exactly what it means. Isn't it something, though, watch, that what's being hit and attacked is the very thing you need to protect you from the attacks. Let that sink in for a second. I need faith to protect me from the attack. But as I lift up that shield, where does the darts hit? My faith. So what does that really look like in real life? My faith is always being under attack. The devil wants to shake my faith so that my shield goes down. So we, this is why the Bible said you shouldn't think it strange when you go through the testing of your faith. So if you have doubts, that's not strange because doubts are the attack against faith. But faith was meant to resist the doubts. So yes, you feel the pressure, the tension in the mind between faith and doubt. That is natural. Even Jesus says, if there's another way, let it go that way, but not, nonetheless, your will be done, not my will. And so there's always going to be a sense of, is there another way to do this? Is there another way? But you trust God in the midst of that. And though you feel the darts, the thoughts coming in, you trust that God will protect you. 
And so I say it like this. When you're in the midst of the doubts and your mind is spinning and it's hard to find your footing, go to God's word and then doubt your doubts. Because if you doubt your doubts, you're standing in faith. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I don't know if I have enough money. Just get out the word of God. He shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I doubt that. I doubt that will ever happen. Oh, it's going to be like this. I doubt that. I'm going to stand on God's word. When we doubt our doubts, we're saying that these doubts are not in control. The word of God is. Here's the only man mentioned in this book from that wonderful church. Here is his name, Tychicus. That's a good Greek name right there. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and what? Faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. Do you want to be known in this church and in your family and community as a faithful minister, a faithful servant? Pray for me that I would be a faithful servant. I pray for you to be faithful to the Lord. And then here's the second to the last verse of that book of Ephesians. Peace be to the brothers, shalom, and love with what? Faith. Love with faith. And and this is not just for the church. I need love with faith in my marriage to make it through the struggles and the trials that we have. I need love with faith in you to have us have to be in a great relationship. If I don't have love and trust in you, I'm not going to be a very good friend to you. And if we don't love and trust God, we're not going to be very good disciples, are we? Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many think faith's important? Amen. That's the real uh, heart of Paul throughout these letters. Now, here's where I want to end today in closing. And if we could get uh, Rachel to start to come up here if she could. This is where I know I got a lot of my notes and time spent, but I think I can tell it. You know, I think it can be felt more than it can be tell. Or let me say it like this. I can, uh, how do I say it? Tell, taught, caught. Oh, here we go. I think this can be caught better than it can be taught. You guys get that? Okay, felt and telt. I made up a new word, telt. Telt is not a word, though, is it? Just checking. I don't think so. Okay. Here's something. I'm just going to put up this screen right now so you guys don't have to see all this. I I have those in the notes intentionally if I needed, if I had time and I needed to go through it more in depth. But when do I ever have extra time laying around in a sermon? Not much, right? But I could take my time. Thank you. We'd be here till about five, but you would enjoy it. You would, that's what I like about you. Amen. Well, let me just uh, summarize this. So just look more at me than you do the screen now. Okay. So there's these three ways we look at changing our lives, and only one of them is right. One is faith. That's the right one. The other one is through our good works, and the other one is through a superstitious belief of God's irresistible power in our life. When we think about it, 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 it makes sense, but I got to draw it out in, in the example for you to really get it, okay? So let's say I'm talking to somebody in the church after this service, and I say to you, um, you know, what's going on in your life? And, and let's just say you had a new baby, and I'm not using any specific examples here, and you go, uh, you know, I just had a baby, and things are going really tough. Now imagine if I say back to you my testimony, and I go, hey, you can make it through this, you know? My wife and I, we've got five kids. We love our kids. Yeah, things are tough, but you will make it. Things will be great. If you have faith in God's word, you will see me and the fruit that I'm bearing as a result of what God did. You won't think it's what I did, but if you don't have faith you'll have one of these two other issues that you'll think is what the solution is, and by that, you will mess it up. So for example, you'll think it's by works. 
And so I will have told you, well, God did this in our family. We sleep at night. The baby does this, whatever. And if you don't believe me and you think that that's not how it works, you're going to be like this. Well, I've tried that. But my baby doesn't sleep at night. And my husband works long hours. See, Joe, you have it really easy. You work from the house. See, that's really different. And you'll almost get to the mindset that unless I have been in your exact shoes, my testimony doesn't match yours. So if I'm talking to, at this point, let's say I'm talking to a mother that works a full-time job and the husband works a manual labor job and this is their first baby, I now somehow, with, as a pastor, have to go find somebody else in the church and be like, okay, uh, I need a married couple. Okay, okay, so you guys are married. What does your husband do? Well, he works as a cook. No, 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 I need a husband that's a manual labor guy. Okay, so I go over here. Okay, okay what do you do? Oh, yeah, my husband works as a plumber or whatever. Okay, now what do you do? Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Okay, that example's not going to work. I got to find a mom that works and a dad that's a manual labor and they have one kid. So I go around and I find that person. And I go, okay, okay, here you go. Okay, here they are. Now here, here's the mirror of you and now they're going to tell you it works. You see, you still won't believe it then. But that's in your mind. It's like, you don't understand. You don't understand. You're not me. And so it's like, I'm a red-headed stepchild that pees my bed at night. Well, I don't pee on myself anymore. Well, you don't understand what it's like to be red-headed and a stepchild. So I got to go roll over here. Are you a red-headed stepchild that pees on yourself? Okay, come on over here. Come over here. Now you stopped, right? Okay, so you stop peeing on yourself. Tell the other red-headed stepchild that she don't have to pee on herself anymore. But that's how we think in the world. Do you know that Jesus never got married, but yet he's the God of marriage? Paul never got married, but wrote more about marriage than anybody else. You don't need that. You need the word. And you need to put your faith in the word. But you will say faith doesn't work because you think faith is the works you have to do. Instead of stopping and going, okay, I believe that. If God did it for you, He'll do it for me. Pastor, what words did you put faith in God in, you know, to, to be tangible with what God was saying? Where were you faithful, Pastor? And then I'll say, well, I was faithful to have a good attitude every day, right? I was faithful to do Oh, so you mean, Pastor, if I'm faithful to wake up and look at my child with a good attitude because I'll have people tell me like, oh, you know, you just don't understand how hard kids are at this age. I had one woman tell me, you know, my husband don't even like being around the kids until they get past three months old because it's just too much work, too much this. So I say, he can love the children. But you see, the butt comes in. No, 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 but you don't know my husband. You don't know his attitude. So once again, okay, let me go get a manual labor guy who works 20 hours a day, comes home tired, and now loves his kids. Tell him he can do it. Right? No, that's not how it works. The man can stop right now and receive the same word that God has given other fathers to love their children. May not come easy, may not be based on feelings, right? You may not always feel it, but put your faith in God's word. So that's the problem we get with faith. We think I'm gonna work up my faith and if it's not working, it's because I'm doing uh, you know, something wrong or I gotta do what other person is. Faith is the opposite of works. It's a trust. I fall in the arms of God. When I believe God more, I will be able to do the things he wants me to do more. 
So it's a heart issue. Let me just make it another example on this before I go to the other one because you got to catch this. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, make me faithful, but you don't, won't know what that means. You're going to think faithful just means going out here and doing a bunch of stuff. That's not where it starts. Let me give you another example of my marriage right here. So I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to love her all the days of my life. Let's say, and this hasn't happened, but let's say emotionally I start to feel disconnected to her, right? I could go on a date with her, still be disconnected. I could go buy her something, still be disconnected. You'll see struggling marriages try to get that love flame through these things. You know, let's do this, let's do this, you know, and it's still not working. And then what happens? We want to give up now because maybe we fell out of love and it's not meant to be. But the real issue is what? It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It starts in the heart. I have to examine why I don't see her the same anymore. And in Christianity, it becomes very clear all issues of the heart are spiritual issues. So as a Christian man, what I would do first before doing a lot of good things, dates are good things, buying roses are good things, before I'll try to fix it with my works, I go to God in faith to have him fix my heart. Faith changes my heart. Faith gives me the power to do things I couldn't do on my own. Faith connects me to God, right? Now watch this. So I come to God and I sing a song to him Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, and I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. I do that by faith, guess what happens here? Things move. Things shift. Things start to rearrange. I don't get credit now for the next thing that happens. See, that's the problem. See, you're trying to fix it on your own. Climb those stairs instead of taking a step back going, God, really my issue between my wife and I is an issue between you and me, and it starts right here in the heart. It's not in the head or the hands. It's in the heart. Change me here. Now by faith, I do the good works. You can do good works all day long, never get the result of faith. If you have time, read Romans chapter 4. It was credited to, I got to read it to you. I'm sorry, guys. I just got, you got to see it in the scripture. You got to see it. In fact, if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. See, and salvation is the biggest thing in your life. Everything else is, is, is tiddlywinks compared to that. So if you can't boast in your salvation, you can't boast in a blessed marriage. You can't. It's not you. It's not your ideas. You can participate. You can participate willingly, yes, with God. But it's first and foremost a matter of faith and trusting God. Will you let go of your marriage and let God have it? Will you let go of your dreams and let God have it? He had not boasted before God because of his works. What does Scripture say? Abraham what? Abraham what? Abraham what? Believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. How do I do right things? By starting off doing right things now, go, let's do it. No, I start off by faith in God, then do right things. Do you see the difference? 
That's why it doesn't work for so many people. And I just, I wish I could go through this whole passage here. You know, we just read the for by grace you have been saved, but keep going. Not by works. So by grace, through faith, your marriage is saved. Not by works. By grace, through faith, you're financially blessed. Not by works. Well, you have to go to work, yes. But the principles and the mindset and the heart will come by faith or not at all. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's what? Handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Do I get created first or do good, good, good works first? Come on, created first or good works first? What happens? Created first. Do I get a good marriage because I do a bunch of things first? Or do I get a good marriage because I first put my faith in God for a good marriage? You see? That's the difference. You start with God in your life. That's what faith is saying. Faith is saying, even though I don't see you, even though I don't feel you all the time, I'm dependent on you for my life. Not just the spiritual things on Sunday, for everything. You know, because it's so easy to walk in these doors and go, okay, take off the manager hat or take off the nurse hat, put on the worship leader hat, here I am. Okay, done with worship, take that off, put back on the nurse hat, have to go to work today. Even a worship leader was struggling this. Jen Johnson, Bill Johnson's uh, daughter-in-law, they were going to do a big conference, and she came into the car. She was huffing and puffing, and she goes, okay, it's time to take off the mommy hat and put on the worship leader hat. And Bill Johnson said, you should have never taken off the worship hat. That's the problem. We're not going to work in faith. We're not going into our homes in faith. We're not doing marriage in faith. We're not doing it right when we get out of faith. And that's why we don't see the good works. That's why it doesn't work when we do it on our own. We're just jumping and tripping on a few stairs. You see, you notice in the verses below that it's first the choice for people to believe the gospel, to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then second, faith belongs to the people And so God is not thankful just for God's faith. It's not God's faith, but rather it's your faith. And that's the uh, the third thing I wanted to talk to you about in, in, in the part right here, where it's not just by works, it's also not an irresistible force. Because there's some of you, you just want to work at it and do it, and you're wondering why it's not working. And then there's the other people that I used to meet all the time in the South, and I don't know how many are here today, but they'll just be like this. Oh, when the good Lord want to change me, the good Lord will do it. When the good Lord is ready, he'll do it. I'll know he's ready because he'll tell me he's ready. But I'm not ready yet, so the good Lord must not be ready. And the whole idea is faith is somehow an irresistible force that you're going to somehow wake up today, God's going to kidnap you, bring you in a you know windowless van here, you know, and, and then throw you up here, hit you on the head, and you're going to be like, woo, praise the Lord, I feel it now. I'm free. And that's what a lot of people, once again, we, we go back to that story, just that example about the family that just had a baby. Life is so hard, you don't understand. If they're not going to respond in faith and do it right, they're the two errors they'll fall into. The one is, well, I've tried it and it doesn't work. And then the other one is, well, you know, God just must not want to do that in my life. Because if God wanted to do it, he would already have done it. He would have already done it. And so we're just different. God wants me to struggle through this. God must be teaching me something. And yeah, there are tests and trials we'll all go through. But a bad attitude isn't one of them. Stinking thinking isn't one of them. Sin and compromise is never God's will. All of us can be victorious. 
All of us can have the mind of Christ. All of us can extinguish all those flaming darts of the enemy. All of us can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All of us. Paul in a prison cell, are you rejoicing? I'm rejoicing in the Lord today. I'm seated in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing. All of us. But if you're sitting back, if you're sitting back here just going, well, I'll just wait for him to make me his puppet and wave my arms around and tell me to do this. Both of those are heirs. The, the heir of man's achievement and the heir of man's laziness, complacency. Faith is neither one of those. Faith is not 90% God and 10% you. Faith is all God. Let me give you another example in closing. Is this my third or fourth closing? I forget. Which one am I on? Have I even said the word closing yet? Oh, good. Have I? I did once. Okay, it's my second closing. When we go rock climbing, and we maybe will go back here to, uh, to the lakes that we go to in the summer one day, but we go rock climbing, we always love to take people repelling because it's really easy and it's fun. Guess what you have to do? When you're about 100 feet off, hope I don't fall here. When you're about 100 feet off the cliff and you got the rope, what do you have to do? You got to trust. You've got to trust. You could have prepped your whole life for that, but until you're there feeling the fear, your working towards it won't make you get out of that fear. That will, I've seen the guys say, I'm not afraid. I remember we were going bungee jumping one time, and this guy was saying, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. See, I'm not afraid. He got up there and he said, I'm afraid, I'm going down. Because it, it's not that. It, it's, it's not willpower. It's, it's the trust. Boom, I'm going. And so, and, and other times, you want to you make people do it, you know. And then sometimes they'll even say, just push me, just push me. And you just want to be like, this is Sparta. Boom, and just kick them right off the thing. Go, ready? Boom, I'll kick you right off the thing. That would be the only way my wife goes skydiving is if I blindfold her and just have her like think it's going to be a real romantic day or something. And all of a sudden she opens up her eyes. We're in a plane and she's strapped to the guy. And she's like, no, no, no. That's the only way she's going to do it, you know. But we want to do that for like our 15th year anniversary. I keep pushing it back for her to give her more time. But she just has to trust she just has to trust. And so that's the idea is that we think we're going to work it up. No, but you just trust. That's all it is. That's what faith is. Now, here it is in closing. When we're in him, we have faith given to us. When we're out of him, unbelief is our normal state. Now, I'm not saying that every day we go in and out of Jesus, like in and out of a door, but you can walk away from your salvation like Judas did. But that's not my main point here. My main point is, is to be in faith with all the promises of God. Remember those Jews in Ephesus who rejected him and got obstinate? Look at what Paul says in Romans 11 about them. Granted, but they were broken off. Here he's giving the example of in and out as being in or out of a vine. He says, but they were broken off because of what? Why were they broken off? What did they have? Unbelief. So what gets promises broken off of your life? What? Unbelief. What allows a marriage to fail in your life? What? Unbelief. What, what causes problems and stress? Unbelief. And he says, and you stand by faith. But do not be arrogant, but tremble. Look at verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. So God's not playing favorites here. Verse 22, consider the kindness and sternness of God. Everybody say the kindness. Thank you. Somebody say the sternness. Thank you. Here it is. Let's look at the sternness. Sternness to those who fell but kindness to you, provided that you continue 
in his kindness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off too. And if they don't persist in unbelief, they'll be grafted in. You guys like the sound effects? Come on, second service. For God is able to graft them in again. Do you want to be cut off? No? So stay engrafted in. Stay in faith. That's the only thing you have to do today. After you do that, God will work through you to do the rest. God has done things in my life that I could never have imagined, but it took the trust of faith. I, I know you, some of you still want to argue with me, say, but yeah, didn't you work hard at losing weight, and didn't you do that? Yeah, I'm, but I'm telling you, it was all a heart issue for me. I know people in the world are very successful, and they don't give a rip about God, but they're just deceived. They don't know what they're doing, okay? I'm talking about real life here, and what brings about the peace of God, especially to our spiritual lives and to the relationships around us, it's going to take us choosing to be faithful. Have there been times I, I, I get discouraged, doubt? Yes, everybody goes through those things. Even Paul dealt with those things. Uh, Elijah uh, was suicidal at one point. And these things, you know, they scare us sometimes because, like, why would these thoughts be in my mind or why would these temptations be coming? And we're holding up our faith and, you know, we're, we're, we're feeling like it's so real and it's about ready to, you know, everything's about ready to fall apart. But, but God is telling us, stand, stand in faith. Don't give up. Because he's working on our behalf things that we don't see, nor could we do on our own. I, I, I just can, can only tell you my personal testimony. I never would have saw myself being sexually pure for 10 years had it not been for the Lord. It was day by day. The Lord kept me pure. I haven't looked at pornography since uh, 96. The Lord. I haven't swore since 96. The Lord. My wife and I have never gone to bed angry. The Lord. Amen? I can keep you here all day. Now, once again, what, see, where do we go with that? Where do we go? If you don't go, amen, what God did for him, I want him to do for me. Because I'm not sitting here going, I got it all either. I, I'm looking to the next person of faith. And, and that's why your faith encourages me. When you tell me, man, I'm receiving this. I'm, God's done this. I go, well, Lord, you did it for them. Do it for me. So we need to encourage each other with that, right? But the moment I say that, you disagree. What do you put up? Well, I tried that. Didn't work for me, Pastor. Go find, go find another, uh, you know, redheaded stepchild to convince me that it worked for somebody like me. Because unless, unless they ha have been through what I've been through, I'm not going to believe it, Pastor. Or what's the other person going to say? Well, I, okay, I guess, I guess your marriage is like that because God did it. So when God wants my marriage to be like that, he'll just do it too. Do you see my point? Get in Christ. Know who you are in Jesus. Remain in faith. Hold the word of God dear to your heart. Speak it to those around you. That's why we speak the word here every time you come here in our songs, in our confessions, in our visions. We're speaking the word to each other. Be faithful. Be like these Ephesians. Amen. Be like Tychicus who didn't give up but was a dear brother, a dear sister. I read you those names a few weeks ago of Phoebe and all of these wonderful women of God. All of us are given the same chance to either experience the kindness of God or the sternness of God. It's up to you. I want to stay in the kindness of God. I can only tell you that from my heart today, saints. I want to stay in the kindness of God.
Lord, where else am I going to go? I think about Peter walking on the water. Here's my third closing, and we're really meaning it this time. Here's Peter. He's like, call me out there, Lord. The Lord doesn't put a hook in him and drag him out the boat. So it's not irresistible force. And then he doesn't say, Peter, here's how you're going to walk on water. You're going to go really, really fast like the wild coyote, and you're going to be able to run. Or it's not the wild coyote. Who's the one, that little, that little duck thing, that little bird? The road runner. He will run right on air. You'll run right to me. No, it's not works, not irresistible force. But how's Peter going to walk on water, saints? Faith. I'm cooperating with the divine power of God. That's what I want to do the rest of my life. Do you want to do that? Just right where you are as the band comes, when we get in an attitude of prayer, let's talk to the Lord. Jesus, would you search our hearts? Start right now if you're not in faith for salvation and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart to make you a new creation. You heard my wife preach a great message you know, after the offer, uh, before the offering and all that. You can still do it right now if you haven't already. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I can't work this up, and I'm not going to wait until you you make it happen because I know it will never happen that you gave me the choice, and I choose you today. Jesus already showed you how much he loved you by dying on the cross for you. He's given you the word. He's given you a church to love on you. It's all to you. It's your decision. When it comes to salvation, uh, the book of Revelation says, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. So those of us who have chosen Jesus already right now say, thank you, Lord, for your salvation. I don't get the credit for being saved. I just get the credit for choosing you. Like it says, Abraham had faith, and it was credited to him. It was his choice. Come on. Just say, Lord, I choose you today. That's my choice. That's my choice for eternity, and I choose you, God. I choose you. Now, those of you who are today in this place, and you'd say, I'm a Christian. I know that I am, Pastor, and I'm thankful for the Lord. Now look at the individual promises of your life and say, Lord, is there any part of my life that is in unbelief? A part of my life that is broke off, not whole, not the way it's supposed to be. Give me right now the word to believe, and I'll believe it. Come on. Lord, show me if I'm being impure. Give me the word of purity, and I'll believe Lord, show me if I've given up on having a good attitude and I complain all the time. Give me your word. Give me your word to not let any unwholesome words come out of my mouth and I'll believe it. In your own words right now, let's pray it out as Augustine comes and the altar workers come. Let's do it right now. Lord, change our hearts. We're going to get this song ready. We'll stand in just a moment, but let's keep praying right now. We're going to pray in just a moment, but right, uh, we're going to sing in just a moment, but let us pray first between us and God right now. Right now, do you want God's best? I want God's best. That's all that I can imagine today that you would want. Jesus, I want to walk by faith today. I want to be faithful to the marriage you've given me. Some of you are young people here. God, I want to be faithful as a single until I get married. Those of you here working your job, and you know sometimes it's hard. Say, Lord, if this is where you've placed me, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful and fruitful here. What about those of you who are committing to the church and the ministry? Lord, make me faithful here to be fruitful. How about parents? 
Ask God to make you faithful and fruitful in your, your parenting. Trying to change your child by force is like trying to get a cat to take a bath. It will not work. It, it, it will only backfire. And should we be involved? Should we be protective? Absolutely. First and foremost, though, we pray for faith to see their destiny and speak it over their life. That's the route we take first, right? Then the good works will come. God will guide us, help them choose their friends, what to look at on TV and the internet. But you know as well as I do, parents, you know a lot of overprotective parents that their children are not doing the right thing because they lack faith in God. Just being strict won't do it. But God can do through your faith what you never could do. My mother would get words from the Lord about me smoking cigarettes as a fifth grader. I would lie to her. Then she would search my pockets and she would find tobacco in my pockets and she would be confirmed. The word of the Lord would be confirmed because she trusted God to help her to raise a rebellious child. And she prayed me back into the kingdom after I was a high school dropout. God did through her prayers what she could never do. Come on, parents. Pray for your children right now to serve God all the days of their life. Pray that you and your house will serve the Lord. Young people, pray that your parents will serve the Lord. You can't force your mom and dad to accept Jesus, but you can live for Jesus when you're with them. You can continually speak the word to them. You can be obedient to them. You can clean your room, but the faith that you have will determine the answer to the prayer, and then they'll make their choice. Here's what I believe happens when we pray for unbelievers. We can never usurp their choice. Otherwise, Jesus would have made Judas a disciple. But what we do is give them more and more opportunities. That's why we pray and don't faint for our lost loved ones. We pray and pray that they get more opportunities so that they can make their choice to be faithful. Faithful. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing it out. Let faith arise. Let faith arise, yes. And see what I see, let I believe. The first verse, gentlemen, please. There you go. But help my unbelief, I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel. No matter what I feel. Come on, let's sing it one more time. Just that verse. Don't get in a hurry, saints. Let this word encourage you. Let faith, faith arise. In spite of what I see, Lord. In spite of what I see, I believe. Lord, I believe. Oh, but help my unbelief. It's okay to confess it. God can take it. I choose.